everyone and welcome to another episode of the Liberty on the Line podcast. Today we have an all-woman cast which is great to discuss the topic of influencer relations. It can seem quite a complex world at times so we have representatives from a number of different parts of the industry to help explain how it all works and there is no one better than these ladies so let me introduce you. We've got um, Lucy Luke, who's Strategic Partner Manager um, at Facebook. She's a dear friend of mine as well, so thank you so much for joining. We've got Rachel Herdwood, actress and influencer and also a dear friend of mine, so thank you too. And Catherine Frischer, Client Director at Gleam Futures, and Izzy Selby, Account Manager at Gleam Futures. Um, two people who are soon to be dear friends, hopefully, so thank you too. <laughs> for joining. Um, I thought we might uh, kick off by just explaining um, your roles, what you do and how it fits into the world that we call influencer relations. Shall we start with you, Catherine and Izzy? What, what do Gleam do and, and what do you guys specifically do within Gleam? So I look after the new business at Gleam Solutions and Izzy is one of our wonderful account managers. Um, Gleam Solutions is an end-to-end full service agency I think we're unique in the fact that we were born out of the talent agency Gleam Futures, who you may know for launching the careers of people like Zoe Sugg, Tanya Burr, Jim Chapman, and most recently, Mrs. Hinch. Um, we were launched about 11 years ago and were probably one of the first company out there to specialise in what we call digital first talent. Um, at Gleam Solutions, we kind of use this unique insights and experience we have of managing talent and combined it with our strategy to help clients such as yourselves kind of use influencer marketing to provoke an action and to help meet your marketing objectives. We work with talent on and off our roster um, and our approach is very much all about, you know, finding the right talent to produce the right content. So we're very talent and content led. Brilliant. And what about you, Lucy? What's your role at, at Facebook and how does it fit within influencer relations? Yeah, so um, I basically head up the creator partnerships team at Facebook and uh, we cover Instagram as well. And my day to day is very much working with what we call creators uh, day in, day out, helping them grow their, their business and their audiences on our products. So it'll range from Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, etc. And I also work really closely with Gleam. So it's really lovely to have you guys on the on the podcast as well. Great. Um, and finally, Rachel, I mean, I think all of you have hundreds more followers than me on on uh, Instagram but Rachel in particular has literally thousands more followers than me um how have you built up your audience and what's your area of specialism um how have you done that over the last few years well in terms of building following I'm probably uh, slightly coming to it from a slightly different angle because it's not really something that I have had a strategy for I think having a profile as an actress has meant that I had a following on social media to start with and then I guess just posting more regular content um, which even feels kind of cynical for me to say because I tend to just post pictures of my children because that's what my life is um, uh, and the odd nature pic when something looks pretty um, that tends to be my brand in inverted commas um, so that's kind of that's kind of that and I guess the following has just happened as a result of my acting um, career which has been a handy byproduct. 
Great. Okay. Um, I was going to ask a question that um, came up yesterday, actually, when I was speaking to a friend, Kim Lucy, who's a mutual friend of ours. Um, so this is a, a shout out to, to Kim, who I'm sure will listen to the podcast once it goes live. But what, what constitutes a blue tick uh, with an influencer? How do, you, how do you get a blue tick? What do you, ha what do you have to have? What do you have to do? Um, Lucy, do you, do you, can you shed some light on that one? I mean, candidly, there's, I cannot give kind of, you know, a transparent criteria on how to get the blue tick, okay. but, you know, I can give you guidance. So what, what we're looking for is, um, you know, organizations or uh, individuals that have notoriety. So whether you've been, um, you know, featured in a, a, a magazine piece or, you know, you have a byline somewhere, if you're a journalist, you know, what our teams are looking for is that you are that, you know, that person and that you are credible. And then also think about best practice when setting up your Facebook or Instagram account, you know, make sure that your, your page and accounts um, have, you know, high, high quality um, pictures on there and that you've, you know, filled out your biography on there and you've got a link out to your official website these are all things that you know our teams are looking for to make sure that you are who you are and and therefore um constitute getting getting the blue tick but that's as much as i can tell you on that okay and actually they don't even tell me by the way so often people come to me and go hey can you get me the blue tick and i have absolutely zero influence whatsoever right got you <laughs> that's that's very helpful thank you <laughs> um I think most of the work that, that I've, I've seen really in the influence relations space has been with B2C brands, so companies selling directly to consumers. Um, Catherine, just interested in, in your perspective, do you work with many B2B influencers? So, you know, um, influencers that, that help companies sell to other businesses rather than direct to consumers, or is it more a, a B2C play really? I would say it's it's more B2C at the moment, but we're certainly getting a lot more interest from a lot of B2B clients. And I think in both cases, you know, you're still very much influencing people and building trust. You know, one is targeting consumers who are buying a product and service for themselves, and the other is targeting customers who are buying a solution probably for their company. I think the latter tends to be slightly more niche and it's more based on rational rather than emotional decisions and maybe less spontaneous. But I think, you know, it's important that, you know, you, you're just getting the creatives right and the content will also have to reflect that. So, yeah, we are getting more B2B um, and it's really important to kind of choose the right talent to produce the right content and the right platforms. But we are certainly seeing an increase in people interested in B2B for influencer marketing. Okay, and so you and you mentioned the, the talent. So how does how does the whole process work? So you've got a company who comes to you who's interested in doing um, some some work. What would be the next step? What would they need to think about? Sure, Izzy, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I think so. So I guess in you know at Glean we kind of have a two stage approach, and I think you know kind of working in the twenty first century, I think it's really important to be really data led. 
And I think that can often feel quite intimidating for brands when they kind of approach kind of a platform where they've got so many kind of creators at their disposal. So at Gleam, we have our kind of Gleam Insight tool that kind of will, you know, will kind of start off with looking at the brand's objectives that they'll have laid out in the brief, whether that kind of be brand awareness or, you know, actually driving conversions. And then we'll kind of dial that back and use the Gleam Insight tool to search for a creator based on the kind of correct audience demographics. So whether that be age or kind of location or whether that might be, you know, the engagement they have like relative to their scale. And I think, yeah, as Catherine mentioned previously, you know, we're kind of unique in having been born out of a, a talent management industry. Um, and kind of having that 11 years of experience, we always say the second stage is kind of having that human element, using and taking advantage of all that experience. And also, you know, having spoken to your client and really understanding what they kind of view as success for the campaign and how they want the campaign to look and kind of their understanding of the brand or the product and kind of always have that discerning kind of ability at the end. And I think, you know, what we can do as an agency is really simplify that process. So it's kind of just a choice between a list of really, really strong options for you rather than having that kind of you know several million creators floating around your mind which I think you know oftentimes client come to us and say that's one of their real problems and we just try and simplify that process as much as we can and make it as palatable as possible. Okay and and just just help me a little bit so a creator is the same same thing as an influencer or, or are they different? Uh, I think there's a lot of terms bounding around. We kind of pretend, uh, we tend to use the word talent, I would say, or creator a majority of the time. But, you know, I think a creator and an influencer is pretty much the same thing. But, um, you know, it depends on the terminology, uh, business to business, I would say. Okay. Okay, no, I understand. And and so, and there are different types, aren't there? There's nano, micro, macro, is that still the case? I mean... Yeah, no, completely. Um, and, you know, depending on kind of a variety of different things, like a micro or a smaller choice can be the better thing for a different brand. And maybe you're trying to hit a more niche market and actually a, a much smaller talent with a really hyper-engaged audience might be the right choice for you. Or if you're looking to make that huge impact, maybe it is worth kind of maybe spending a little bit more and getting a talent that has that massive following, because oftentimes they're going to be so skilled and so amazing at creating that content that you're going to get that huge reach that, you know, um, is much more expensive on other platforms. Um, So I think, yeah, definitely all of those terms are floating around. But um, again, as an agency, I think we work to kind of simplify all of this terminology that's so specific to social and try and make that kind of uh, fit with a wider channel mix. Yeah, of course. Um, what what about from your perspective, Lucy? Obviously, you work with only really big names, don't you? But what do they need to see to engage with a brand? Yeah, well, actually, um, I have a real range of creators that I work with. So, you know, some of the kind of um, micro creators, I think that was a term you guys used, um, you know, I'll work with as well. But certainly in terms of the larger ones, um, branded content partnerships are a huge part of their of their income and they are in big demand. So some of the creators that I work with, one of them is the body coach. I can tell you now in the last two weeks, I've had about eight approaches from different teams within Facebook wanting to work with with him and so you can imagine for someone like him you know he's not going to have the time to do all of these so you know some of the briefs that we see can be really really vague and I think for someone like him he'll be looking for something that has longevity that also um, attracts him in terms of a cause or passion that he already has which as you know is um 
as you know, kids and, and fitness. So um, we're seeing a real range of briefs coming through and the ones that are really resonating with my creators right now are those campaigns that have a cause behind them, often aligned with um, maybe a charity um, or a purpose that they're passionate about. Oh, excellent. Okay. And what about, Rachel, for you, from the perspective of one of these creators or influencers, what's appealing to entice you to work with a brand? I think pretty much echoing what's already been said, it would have to be something that is um, authentically aligned with, I guess, my personal values. I wouldn't be um, comfortable in working with a brand that was a huge diversion from uh, something that I would personally involve in my lifestyle so to speak I don't drink alcohol so promoting an alcohol brand would be silly and I wouldn't do it yeah um, because it would be wildly inauthentic sure sure and and I guess you've all seen your fair share of of briefs Lucy um what 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 from your side makes a good brief if if you were to send a brief to um the body coach what would what would need to be on that brief I think a, a brand, if they're targeting someone, needs to have obviously watched that creator's content um, and, you know, pitch something that that could be really appealing to them. And it's not necessarily, and maybe Gleam will disagree with me, but it's not necessarily around dollar signs. It's, it's around something that will work for their audiences because my creators know their audiences better than anyone. And so they'll be looking for something that, may appeal to them because they have a passion about it or that they know their audiences will engage with with this sort of creative idea so an example will be um one of my creators that i work really closely with um is lad baby and if you haven't heard of lad baby before they're mark and rocks they're an amazing couple and they upload video content um and go live around the the trials and tribulations of being uh parents and they have a massively engaged audience that just follow the ins and outs of their of their lives and one of their biggest passions is um, food banks and they're aligned with the Trussell Trust. And for the last three years, they've released a number one single, um, mainly around sausage rolls to, um, to try and get to Christmas number one and raise huge amounts of money for the Trussell Trust. And this year was the first year that they partnered with a brand and that was Walker's Crisps. And the way that Walker's approached them was, you know, coming with a clear brief of what was expected, like what Walkers wanted to get out of them in terms of engagement and, and content, but also what they were going to provide for Lab Baby and this pledge to get to number one and obviously raise money and funds for the Trussell Trust. And it just worked for them. They saw the brief and they were like, do you know what, this is exactly what our audience would would want to see and um and yeah it was a great success they got to christmas number one walkers were everywhere um yeah so yeah it's really knowing the the creator and the content that they already produce yeah and is that, that's 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 great to hear it's not just about dollar signs as well is is that is that the case with you guys catherine and izzy it doesn't just have to be about money no, I mean, absolutely not. I think that's when influencer um, marketing kind of came into criticism in the past, uh, you know, when people were much more doing influencer advertising and people were 
I guess, almost commoditizing what amazing talented creators were doing and treating them like billboards and just, you know, giving them all one brief, asking them to put their product in a photo and getting talent to kind of hold it up. You know, now, you know, we've kind of we work with credible and authentic talent that, you know, have some kind of brand affiliation, you know, have kind of a brand love for the, um, you know, the brief. It has to be authentic and they have to interpret it in their own style and their creative. And as Lucy says, you know, it has to be right for their audience. Um, you know, if it's not going to resonate, if the audience are not going to be interested, then they won't take that brief on because the audiences are savvy. They know. Um, and I think that was kind of especially um, true during COVID. You know, it was really important when it comes to tonality to kind of position the campaigns right. And, you know, there's no point influencers kind of advertising really expensive products if they know their audience can't afford them. So, you know, we're totally on the same page in that, in terms of, you know, it's got to be right for the talent, it's got to be right for the audience. And I don't think there's, I mean, we certainly wouldn't work with any creators that are just in it for the money and will take on a campaign because the co it would come, come through in the content. It would be so obvious and it has to be authentic and work. Yeah, and, and you mentioned longevity. I, I think both of you mentioned longevity. I mean, how long on average does an engagement last? I mean, I'm sure it, it varies wildly, but um, if you were to put a ballpark on it, um, if you were thinking about putting a brief together, roughly how, how long do you think you should, you should put that, put into that, that brief in terms of an engagement um, duration? I think it's a super difficult one because I think there's clients that we work <clears throat> we've worked with on a really long term basis. Like one of our clients, the Very Group, um, they kind of were born out of a relationship they had with our talent team, and now we've worked with them on a few campaigns, and we're on an always on basis with them. So we're always producing content with them, and within that, you know, we work with creators over the course of a couple of months, and, and we've had consistent engagement throughout that. Um, and that's something that really benefits in building their trust with their audience in that sense. But equally, you know, I think when there's that really authentic connection, which is something that I guess we're all going to keep going back to when you've got that kind of um, exactly right creator for the brand and the brand and the creator both sold on the campaign, then I think you can still get that impact with a shorter term kind of campaign basis. But certainly I do see more and more brands kind of what trying to kind of foster that organic connection between the longer term connections between the brand and the creator. Um, I don't know if anyone else would have <laughs> have anything else to say on top of that, but um, yeah. Uh, Catherine, Lucy, anything else that you wanted to add? Um, I, I think this is this is a, a, a point to make, and I'd be interested to see um, what everyone else on the call thinks. But we're certainly seeing at the moment um, a lot of brands interested in working what with what we call subject matter experts. Um, this is a new Facebook phrase. Um, don't worry, it's not an industry term, but it's the idea that brands want to work with creators that are um, giving something almost academic back to their community. So a classic example will be um, if you've heard of Dr. Alex George, he used to be on Love Island, he's a doctor, and during COVID he's been doing a ton of um, sort of content around the facts around COVID, but also mental health. And we're seeing a lot of brands want to be around kind of smaller influencers that have a skill or are giving something that someone can actually work with or or um, learn from. Does that make sense? I'm not sure I'm explaining it very well. No, um, no, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah makes perfect sense. Um, I guess I guess the other kind of area that is interesting to explore is is around ROI and. Um, 
you know what 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 is what is seen as success in terms of a of an influence influencer relations program what can a brand expect to achieve um and how they how should they set that out at the beginning of the campaign um Catherine maybe you might like to answer that one yeah, sure. I think it's really important kind of there's there's so many ways to measure success and it's important, I guess, to reflect, make sure your KPIs actually reflect your objectives and they're very much kind of set at the start of the campaign. You know, is your campaign to increase brand awareness? Well, if it is, then we need to be tracking audience reach, um, unique views and impression data. You know, other success metrics are engagement. You know, is how well is your brand being received, for example, you know, how relevant are you to your customers? Are they interacting with you? Um, but we can look at conversions and ROI in terms of actual sales and trials. And that we would look at kind of how much traffic's converted. We would look at kind of affiliate links, promos, discount codes, um, bespoke landing pages. And we can also kind of analyze um, Google Analytics and sales data. Um, we, we would always advise a client to kind of marry up their organic content with our targeted paid. And we actually have our own product, which is called Talent Plus, which allows us to clone um, our organic followers, most engaged audiences. And then we would create lookalike audiences that we can then serve additional content to. Um, the content is actually delivered through the talent owned channels, which makes the ad look and feel like talent content. And we're regularly getting double digit ROI for clients this way on their paid activity. So it's a really effective way of kind of guaranteeing a really good ROI by combining organic content with paid and really kind of maximizing your authentic reach. Mm. So, so I mean, it could be one of um, those campaigns that you could reference here, but um, have you got any examples of influencer programmes that um, have particularly impressed you or, um, you know, have, have uh, you think have worked really well? I think there's a lot of different brands doing it in very different ways um, that we do very well. I think, you know, I mentioned very earlier, but again, with that kind of longer term strategy, we're now at a point where we have they have editorial usage on all of our content, which for clarity just means that they can kind of repost that and use that as kind of their own communication to their audience on their own social channels. And as such, we have this like amazing symbiotic relationship. We really feed into their social team and ultimately kind of help them like nurture and foster their brand personality through everything we do and I think you know on the other side of that we also work on brands on a much shorter kind of campaign to campaign basis where maybe you've got a one specific kind of product launch and I think we've done some really nice launches with Pandora like this where ultimately <clears throat> while we're feeding into a global strategy we're just looking really clear objectives and really simplifying that for the brand and creating beautiful content that fits amongst an amazing mix of kind of content they'll be getting from influencer agencies internationally and really feeding into that and kind of I think a lot of the moment some of the really impressive work we're doing is around reels um, and just kind of those shorter form video pieces of content that are getting that kind of really fun snappy message across in a kind of much shorter frame of um, time so I think yeah definitely reels in terms of the type of content and um, I'd say though those uh, interesting relationships are the one where influence is kind of crossing over into social as well. Mm. Lucy do you agree? I know I, I do have a recent one and I hate to say it's lab baby again I feel like I'm their manager or something I'm not by the way I've just been doing a lot of work with them um but they they're great at jumping on a cultural moment and they um uh decided to um release 
and and make their first merch, which was um, football shirts around the Euros. So the cultural moment is the Euros. They, as a couple, are passionate about football, um, but they realise that the the kits, the England kits, are so expensive, and they've got two young kids, and they just basically decided to create their own version of the merch, um, clearly saying, you know, this is not licensed by the England team, but here's our version of an of an England kit, um, and they partnered with a brand for this and. Basically, they just shot a series of reels, Facebook video, IGTV, did a load of stuff on TikTok, not to be mentioned because they're a competitor. Um, but they basically just did short videos and clips of them, you know, taking part in the Euros, watching it, but also explaining that, you know, for many families, the current kit is just too expensive. So they've come up with their own version. And every time they posted the link, um, you know, we got reports about the conversions went up by by 60% for the brand in terms of, of sales. So, you know, it was their first time testing merch. They've never sold anything before um, in partnership with the brand, but the data is looking really positive. And it, it goes back to the fact that they were authentic. They realized what their audiences wanted. Um, and yeah, they jumped on board and it, it worked really well. So I love it. What a brilliant I idea. I think that's the thing, Lucy, as well. It's the, you know, being culturally relevant. We recently ran a campaign with um, Bud for their seltzers. And it was around, we ran it at the time where lockdown rules were just kind of being, restrictions were being released. So we came up with the idea to do socialising tutorials because, I mean, we've all kind of been locked, you know, locked in our houses for so long that especially, you know, some of the younger people have kind of forgotten how to talk to each other. So, you know, kind of appealing to the humorous nature of Bud we created this really lovely kind of funny reels and video around kind of teaching people how to socialize again. And that went out and it was really well received because it was kind of, you know, going out at the right time. It was culturally relevant. It was still very much in the tone of the brand. And it was, you know, we got some great results of that in terms of kind of brand impressions and reach. So it was a really successful campaign because it was culturally relevant. Yeah, definitely. I must check these these examples out. Um, Rachel, are there any um, campaigns that you've seen that you've been particularly impressed by? That's really hard to say. I think as a consumer, when I scroll through the grams, definitely, um, I definitely get drawn to, at the moment, jewellery. There seems to be a lot of jewellery popping up on my feed. There's like a trend for waterproof jewellery and I seem to scroll and that's all that comes up. Lots of sponsored posts on that. So um, I guess that's the metrics are a successful way to catch someone's eye and um, sponsor posts. But uh, I can't think of specific campaigns off the top of my head. But to be honest, I don't follow a lot of influencers. Um, I think it's been interesting to listen to the experts on this podcast discuss um, the sort of having a more uh, academic approach to content because I would agree that as a consumer, you want to trust the um, the authenticity and the kind of expertise of what people have to say. So, for example, there's a really wonderful um, Pilates teacher called Holly Grant. She goes by the Pilates PT. And because I'm a Pilates teacher, I find it really helpful to follow her and kind of gain insight into her um, into her expertise and knowledge of Pilates and learn learn stuff. Or looking at creators who um, 
post lots of stuff about Pilates, you know, you can kind of learn from them. So that's something that's interesting to me. Um, and then, yeah, so I guess that's probably more from a consumer perspective than a yeah, I'm, I'm interested as well um, in the whole kind of area of sort of rules and what, what's allowed and, and what isn't. Um, obviously, we've seen the case recently, Bell Gibson, um, and that's obviously really shocking. Um, and, and most people would do anything like that. But in terms of, of rules, as, as a sort of influencer creator yourself, do you feel that the rules are, are clear enough about you know what you're posting and um you know what's making it clear clear what is an ad and, and what isn't personally yes I think anytime I've done anything and um, any paid work the every brief I've received has been very clear on um making making it clear it's you know you have to disclose that it's an ad or if something you've been gifted a product that you disclose as much um, and I'm very much a sticking for the rules and also a big believer in being transparent and honest. I know it's going to sound like, uh, yeah, yeah, of course you're going to say that, but genuinely, um, I take these things quite seriously because I know for me, I have quite a lot of younger followers and I, I feel very protective of younger people and it would, I'd find it awful to think that, you know, I'd be perceived as being deceptive in any way. So it's very important for me to always be completely transparent and from my uh, experience, the briefs I've received have always been very clear on that. So for me, yeah. it's all good. Great. Um, um, what about you, Catherine and Izzy? Do you provide much support to the teams that you work with on, you know, making clear what, what is allowed and what isn't? Yeah, I'd say totally. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting one because I think with the ASA rules at the moment, they're kind of constantly developing and having to kind of keep up with the platform. I think there are a lot of rules around certain things that were kind of previously very much hinted at amongst the ASA rules, and we've had to kind of adapt them to our channels in terms of, you know, working with children and, and ad disclosure. And I think there's a lot of rules that a lot of brands don't know about, and we kind of always try and step in and be a conduit there. Like, um, for instance, if you've, uh, if you've worked with the brand or you've had something ad gifted and then you kind of organically post about it you should still disclose in that instance and I think as a you know sometimes as a brand they're very keen to get this added value content etc and you kind of do have to step in and kind of revert back to the ASA regulations but I think you know ultimately it's only a good thing for the industry to get increasingly regulated in that way and I think I don't you know from a consumer perspective I never think that I've been put off by kind of um, active ad disclosure because as we come back to this point about authenticity if you trust a creator you know like Rachel's kind of uh, Pilates teacher there if she has that kind of really um, amazing relationship with a brand that she knows actually she would buy organically anyway herself then I don't think you know the audience is then put off by that and I think it's something to be said for kind of professionalizing our industry and the content that we consume and kind of keeping up with those rules but you know we always have a do's and don'ts section in the brief and we're very clear about kind of the different rules and we'll keep that updated for brands and just kind of make sure that what we're doing is best practice and trying to simplify that on both sides both for the talent and for the brand partner so yeah no it's definitely something we're kind of constantly keeping at the back of our mind and keeping abreast of especially as you know more and more um talent are being clamped down on and that's kind of ultimately you only want good PR from your campaign and never to be associated with anything negative there. So I think, you know, yeah, something we, we work quite hard to say um, a top of. Mm. And, and do the rules vary per country? So if you've got a global brief, lots of the companies that we work with obviously want sort of international PR. What, what sort of 
what what are the kind of rules is is, is it different per country um obviously you you probably need different influences per country as well wouldn't you how does it work on a global perspective yeah, I mean, we we do at Gleam actually we do activate um, campaigns across multiple territories. Um, so often the same principles will apply, but you do need to be aware of kind of any cultural nuances. Um, Gleam's actually part of Dentsu, which obviously is a very big kind of global network, um, and we pretty much have a local agency in most markets. So if we need to, we would lean on kind of our lo local experts in that area for kind of any more information or, or any nuances we need to be aware of. So there we go, folks. That's another podcast done. Thank you so much to our panellists for joining and thank you for listening. Please do rate and review us and stay tuned for more information on our next one. We're really delighted to be with you today and we hope you have a wonderful summer. Take care.